our biggest problems in life is other people. <laughs> you know, a lot of people are reliving what people have said to them and experiences, and it's, it's their rent-free. It's, it's just living inside them and it's eaten away. And that is part of your mental illness. We're all trying to self-medicate. We're all trying to find the answer. We're all trying to get resolutions to a mental issue. It's not about always avoiding sickness, it's about knowing what to do when you are sick. I mean, people use all these terms like hack yourself and, you know, but you're trying to get resolution, you're trying to get an answer to a problem. Always listen to for and against, no matter what it is, even if you think you're right. It's a good part of the checklist and mentally coming through things. Always listen to for and against. You have all these different opinions and you listen to someone and you go, that's... That sounds really good and that's logical and listen to someone else and you go, that sounds really good and logical. And then you go, oh, they both can't be right. You know, the health of me mentally and physically is dependent on my environment. And that is the quality of the air, the water, the nutrition, the food and the people. It's always beneficial if you can get around like-minded people. Hello, bestie, and welcome back to the emergency broadcast. It's really good to see you, and I mean that most sincerely. My name's Russell, and you are a guest on emergency broadcast today. So, um, lots to cover, and, you know, I don't want to overstate this, but it's so good to see you back. There were times when we thought we'd lost you, but no, you're back with a vengeance. So, you're very welcome. Um, today, we're going to be moving on and covering some aspects on mental health and how this leads into physical health. But like you said earlier, it all comes from mental health. So you're very welcome. And uh, we've got 45 minutes to go. So listen, over to you. Thank you. Um, well, as we were saying before, yeah, it's, it's hard to cover everything in a short space of time. You're sort of given snippets. And the last time we talked, I was just trying to give a rough overview of different things but you can't really go that deep into different areas you go off in rabbit trails and yeah. off in tangents but any time i've had time to to talk over a series of of like in a course like you came to mind years ago i like to take one area and sort of talk on that alone uh, and mental side of health is how can I put it? Everyone sees health as a physical thing. And I know there's been a lot of effort made to expand into the mental side of things. And it still hasn't really got there yet. People see mental health as, the, you know, people who are sectioned. You know, people who, you know, that's... At that end yeah, of the scale. Less than 1% of the public. Those are the, the mental illness, the mental health. And... Mm -hmm. Just like I said before, when I was trying to get people to not see input and output as just a physical thing, there's the mental and emotional side, you, those are all in flux, and you have to weigh those all up. I, w I would classify everyone as having a mental health issue. Everyone is mentally ill. And that's a very broad uh, statement, but what I mean by that is we all go through periods of we're essentially more mentally ill than others. Like if you have a bad breakup or a relationship issue or all these different things, that's a mental health issue. Now, most people get through that 
sometimes with a bit of help sometimes people go for a bit of help with stimulants and uh, other things that they probably shouldn't but because most people go through that they don't consider that a mental illness because that's the norm but it is yeah but it's their experience and it's undeniable it's their mental health experience because because it is you know traumatic and everyone responds differently like uh, a bereavement a loss of a job even a loss of a house a loss of whatever you find gives you like a source of, of life of joy of happiness and you lose that you know you go through a grief you go through a bereavement that, that it, there's like a time of you're mentally not not right and that's not to stigmatize people that's not but we all go through that and we will go through those periods again so it's just learning how to navigate that and manage that and, and taking away the stigma of oh i'm i'm currently mentally ill you know but that's that's what i think people need to start calling a spade a spade and, and labeling it as so could could you take away the words mental health and, and replace it with I'm having an experience, I'm having a response to whatever I'm going through, like you say, whether it's a bereavement yeah. or a loss of a house or a job or whatever, I'm having a current experience Definitely. manifesting as my mental health is... Yeah, and and people, we all use those terms and we kind of euphemize it and try and... But like I said, it, it's helpful sometimes to be blunt and go, as well, that's a, that's a mental health issue. And realizing we don't have what it takes all the time you know there's a, there's a lot of positive so you have what it takes you have it. but logically we grew up dependent we're dependent you know from the get-go on our parents and different authority figures and we instinctively know we don't have everything within ourselves that's why we need air we need light we need food we need, you know we need external things for this to survive but it's the same mentally. You know, you need words and pictures. That, that for me, is the food of your mental health. So you have air, light, and water, and you know, all this nutrition for physical. But for mental, what feeds it? It's, it's sound and light, you know, the words and pictures. And you eat through your eyes and your ears. So in that sense, you got to look at nutrition in that way what you focus upon, what you're listening to, what you're looking at, you're feeding upon. Really interested. I'm just, I'm just, you know, it's blown me away thinking about words and pictures and that, you know, from your, what you're feeding yourself on. I used to hear that the eyes and the ears were gateways and that you have to be very careful what goes in through the eye gate and you have to be very careful what goes in through the ear gate. Is that what you're alluding to there? That, you know, you've got to be careful what goes in. It's not any words in any pictures. It's, yeah, exactly. But the thing is, people can get too paranoid about that, and too, especially in religious circles, and they're almost afraid of anything negative. Or you know, I can't hear that, I can't watch that because that could pollute me, and I'm trying to stay clean. And it's you can't stop a lot of negative. You can limit it, but the the aim is not to stop everything negative or bad coming in through your eyes and ears. It's it's how you process it. It's whether you dwell on it or not. Yeah. Um, so just like a lot of stuff that we eat food-wise, 
it's hard for it to be 100% organic and free of X, Y, and Z, but it doesn't have to be. It just has to be at a low enough level that your body can deal with, you know, the bits that, that aren't great. So it's looking at it from the point of view of unless you under have the framework, like I was saying before, unless you have um, the context, you, you're not going to get good at it because you're not really aware of it because you're not labeling it. You're not calling it for what it is. And, and is it also that you haven't been trained in how to do this? I'd say so, but it's words are placeholders. You know, words represent, words are like, like I said before, like part of the map. The map is in the territory, but the map helps you navigate the territory. So when I was, a, okay, I'm very visually oriented and I love words and the meaning of words and where they come from and people's names and place names. And I've always been obsessed with it, you know, reading dictionaries and, you know, doing crazy stuff. Yeah, I know. People just go, you're a nerd, you're, you're weird. But I find, I'm fascinated because I'm fascinated as to why people think. Because even as a kid in primary school, we're being taught language. And yet I didn't know what people's na- names meant or place names meant. And like I was thinking, you know, logically, surely there are words, they mean something. And then I would ask people, what do they mean? People went, oh, I don't know. And I was like, well, surely they mean something. People don't just sort of throw a bunch of letters together and go, blah, you know, that's what. So understanding what people were trying to say was a fascination for me and still is to this day. And that's why I love linguistics and looking at history and so forth. So. When we're looking at it from this point of view of if words are placeholders, they represent something, they represent a picture. Visually, I see people's minds as a canvas and my tongue as a, as a paintbrush and my words are, are the colors. So I'm essentially trying to transfer the picture I have in my mind's canvas onto yours by using words or pictures. No, that's fascinating yeah, because we're talking now yeah. and so those words are coming from your your lips to my ears but yet behind those words there is a canvas with pictures on it with words and stuff and you're trying to get that out through the brain through the mouth into mine through it so that i build up a picture on my brain. canvas a bit like a jigsaw i guess that you're, exactly. you're trying to put together pieces into my canvas so yeah so it's that that's transference and that's why some people are better than others in the delivery and how it transfers because essentially everything is to do like what we we're looking at here now started in someone's mind you know it was a picture and then he went about creating it and producing it so the transference of whatever they're mentally into the physical you know that process sometimes you don't need to use words and pictures you you do it yourself but to explain it to others sometimes this is where I would see words as containers, mm. you know, they're placeholders. Mm. So it's getting that refined enough, you're getting the boundaries. You can't defend what you can't define, right? And this is a big problem with language. We're talking past one another a lot of times. We're using the same vocabulary, but we have a different definition. You know, it's the same words, the same sound, but what I may mean by that may not be 100% what you mean by that. So I, I, I notice this a lot in conversations and I, I have to amuse myself and laugh at people who, 
you know, think that they're agreeing and they're, they're not because I've talked to them individually and I, I've asked those poignant questions to find out what their semantic range is for that word. And there is an overlap between the two people, and but there is those differences. Just not quite meeting in the middle, just... Exactly. So they think they're in agreement because they're using the same word and they're both nodding, and I know that they're not. <laughs> because as soon as you start asking other questions, start probing in, suddenly they're like, what? I thought, you know... So this is what I mean about it's important to, just like in food preparation and what we're doing, the preparation of words and pictures and so forth is important for mental health. I mean, the word health in English, the word heal, heal, seems to come from a word that means to cover. In Germanic languages, the, the K sound became an H. So kale as in, you know, keller, cellar, some, something that's covered. There's a lot of different words. Um, apocalypse, the calypse means to cover. Yeah, eucalyptus, you know, well covered, you know, because the leaves cover. So there's a lot of words that come from this idea of covering, kale. So whenever you get cut in the skin, there's a, a hard crust, you know, it, it kales over. Healing, so it seems to be from that Germanic. Different languages and different cultures have a different picture for what we would call health. But that's sort of the Anglo-Saxon, the, the Germanic understanding of, of health on a physical sense of it's something that covers you know, your, your healing, you know, your health. But because of the way English is, it sounds very similar to the word whole, to be whole. And a lot of languages have that connotation more for health than English does in being whole is being healthy. If that makes sense. Mm -hmm. So if we look at it from that angle and that picture, that's what we're aiming to be. We're aiming to be whole, you know, but that's not just on a physical aspect. It's, it's the mental side. Is, is there, you know, without um, wandering into the religious side of this, yeah. is there a link between the wholeness and that word shalom from the Hebrew, that shalom means a wholeness? Yeah, well, shalom means peace, but it comes from the word shalom or salam in Arabic, which has that connotation of being whole. So their idea of peace is when you're whole. Yeah. Whereas the, the English word peace comes from the Latin word pax, which has a connotation of being fixed together. So it, it's kind of close, but their idea of peace is when things are, have come together and there's, you know, it's been fixed, oh, you know, like an agreement. Yeah. So they are coming at it from slightly different angles, but again, it's the same idea of if you're at peace, and we were saying about before, disease. You know, you have a dis-peace. The ease is, when we talk about being at ease, it's another kind of synonym for peace. So because, we, because you know, this particular uh, broadcast is on mental health and um, disease is slipping from ease into dis-ease, if you're not processing stuff well mentally, then you're falling into dis-ease and then it manifests in the physical side somehow yeah, and we focus on the physical healing rather than going back to the root well it's 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 like this this is the stick and there's two ends and you have the mental end and the physical end and they both where does one start and one finish it's it kind of bleeds and blends into one another mm -hmm. if something starts off mental it'll eventually manifest itself physically or if it starts off physical it will manifest itself mentally so yeah, so there's a connection you know there's a connection one will so it doesn't really matter which end it starts it will affect the other but most of the time I would say 
it starts mentally because essentially our biggest problems in life is other people <laughs> relationships that is our biggest disease that is our biggest source of problems um you're just looking at psychology and all different you know how kids are brought up um what affects them then has such a big impact on their mental health and subsequently their physical health you know patterns and priorities and um just their desires for different things culturally you know has an effect and we see this you know we use words in english in the, in the uk context you know uk and ireland we're child or spied or here we're talking about millie or <laughs> people instantly know what you mean because it's 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 a way of thinking and that manifests in the way they dress and the way they speak and the music they listen to it's not 100% accurate there's always exceptions within those areas but mm. why do why do why does that word evoke that image because people because see there's a link. yeah there's a link in how people think and they're in different areas usually housing estates and different different cities it could be hundreds of miles apart and yet you can use the same word and go yeah that's that's a child that's a millie that's a spy that's it you know and it's so you're understand even when we talk about a tough you know, instantly you have a certain mannerisms certain way they they speak certain way they probably have certain they like the opera and ballet and classical you know there's a general overall how they dress how they speak what they're just you know interesting because you mentioned words like tough yeah. you know and in my mind i had a picture of a guy from like 1920s with a bolt with a big hat on and oh, walking well. down the road with his cane and his stick and his pocket watch so for me there was already a mental picture there when you said the name because the association it's like nobility or royalty you instantly have because we think in pictures yeah but it's 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 that repetition needs to retention so and marketing does this really well and marketers know this big companies have known this and since the second world war they've they've really delved into the psychology of always keeping their name and their brand out there and association and that's where a lot of alcohol companies and different others they they create the experience and feeling around their product rather than about their product you know and also they use that repetition i mean just recently i've been watching adverts and thinking how many times did they actually repeat the word that they're trying to get over Sometimes subtly, sometimes very blatantly, it doesn't matter. Repetition brings retention, as you say. Well, and when they've only got a 20-second slot or a 10-second slot. Especially if it's annoying. <laughs> you know the other jingle? You go, damn, I hate that. And it's so... But it gets right it, and you, it's hard to forget, you know. Or like those pop songs and stuff, you go, it's annoyingly catchy. <laughs> you know, I hate the fact that... I can't get this one out of my yeah, head. I wish I could, but it's just replaying in my head. So... It's just looking at that side of things and go, okay, what can we do about that? You're never going to be 100% perfect in that or amazing at that, but you don't have to be. Again, as you're saying, it's about ratios. It's about just getting a majority. And if you're constantly looking at soap operas, which has all the worst human relationship problems all rolled into one week after week, what what does that that say? You know, what does that do internally? Because when we look at 
the mind and one of the things I've learned and helped me a lot was the subconscious, the mind doesn't know right or wrong, good or bad. It just knows stimulus. It's like a sponge. Yeah, it just takes it in, you know. Um, so what you focus upon, you inadvertently can become. Mm-hmm. Now, it's not a 100% linear. It's not like if I'm going to read. No, but there's a pretty good chance. Well, there's you have a general tendency to, to and some people are more susceptible than others. Um, now, people go through phases where they focus on studying something like serial killers or something it doesn't mean they're going to become a serial killer i'm not but i'm just saying over a length of time if it's the main input and the constant input you become desensitized you know you become it becomes much more acceptable it becomes much it you know it no longer becomes an issue because it's it's normative yeah i was going to bring this up earlier on but i didn't want to but now you're talking about becoming desensitized to something i wanted just to quickly touch on the area of school children wearing masks because i think you know there's we've we've done talks on this before and you know we pretty much know that the masks are ineffective and sometimes dangerous but from a mental health perspective because that's where we're focusing on What's your feelings and thoughts on children wearing masks and the way it's desensitizing them? It's yeah. becoming the norm, etc. Peer pressure. Yeah. Any thoughts on that? Certainly. I mean, in terms of, again, we'll get into this maybe later on in the sense of your thought process and and why it's it's either important or not important to wear masks is important. Is <laughs> important to look at in the sense of all this information is coming at you and you have to make a choice as is this worth doing or not and it's like there's a checklist there's it's a scientific method you, you know you're you're testing each part of it to see whether it's valid or not and the whole thing is you wear a mask because it reduces the chances you know the probability of you infecting someone else and at first glance, you look at that and go, oh, that's logical, you know, it can reduce. But then when you start looking into more and just like, but viruses, you know, when you look at the wave and, and the size of the mass, it's like, well, that's not going to stop that going through. And then they go, oh, but it's water droplets that's stopping. I'm like, yes, but viruses aren't water droplets. And then they go, but the virus is on the water droplet. I'm like, yes, but as you breathe, it, it, it'll still push it through and it becomes a, a, a mist, a vapor, you know. So you're not actually stopping it coming through. But are you reducing it? Well, not really, because again, it's still being pushed through. So then why wear a mask? But that's the point, because people, they say, well, look at China and look at it. They wear masks all the time. Yeah, but they're wearing it because of large particles, you know, like smog and so forth, that'll catch on it. This is a totally different scenario that you're asking people to wear masks and for it to be effective for. And they keep using the analogy of fluid and, and liquid. Yeah, but this isn't a fluid or liquid. You know, so they're using like analogies and they're using other instances that it is effective for and then transferring it to this situation. And there's no evidence that that's useful. Having more distance is more beneficial than wearing a mask. You know. But still, even that is limited. But if if you really wanted to go down the the reducing the probabilities, distance 
would be the one not mass. Yeah, I hear that. I hear what you're saying. But then how, how does this relate to if we go back to the immune system and that coming together and touching and hugging and all of these good things that we did two years ago is good for you? Yeah. But now it's bad for you. Yeah, well, is, it, there, is there a mental health reason why that's been introduced? Well, As opposed to the scientific and... One thing, one thing I would say on the mental health side is you communicate a lot through your facial expressions. And whenever that is covered, especially for young kids, I don't think that's healthy long term. You know, not being able to read, not being able to pick up the cues from, you know, how people say things. And, you know, it, it creates that separation that distance that feeling of isolation and again not every kid's gonna be like that i'm not saying all kids are going to be scarred but it will affect a certain group of kids very profoundly yes and even before all this kicked in two years ago separation isolation mental health issues yes and i know of cases of people here who have been badly traumatized and it has triggered them it has caused them a lot of problems you know um and it hasn't been good for their mental health in the slightest. But people brush that off and go, ah, but they're only like 1% or less. So as if that doesn't matter. So, <coughs> and when that all up, this is where, even looking back on my own experience, when I was, was ill and on my own a lot and going through terrible bouts of depression and Wondering how far how far back are we going here? We're not going back to recent times. We're going back a bit further. Yeah, I mean, we all have our wee bouts of of illness and times of problems. But I'm talking about when I was 13 when I left school, and for a good 10 to 15 years was trying to get better. Um, I I felt at one point that I was possibly going mad. I don't say that lightly, um, and I'm not one to exaggerate that. I mean, I genuinely thought. I could be at the beginnings of actually going mad because I couldn't stop my thoughts at times. They were just like, whirling, you know, it was like flowing away. And I, I couldn't trust, I felt that I couldn't trust anything. I couldn't even trust myself. I'd tried so much and I wasn't getting anywhere and I felt stuck and I felt, is this, so is a this lack me? of control? You were out of control mentally. The thoughts, were kind of, just yeah, and it's, like a like a spin drive. Yeah, spin drive. It wasn't like it was hearing voices or, you know, wanting to do mad stuff. But it was just the the fact of, I, I can't seem to get this together. I I can't do life. I can't, I don't know what is going on, and it's so soul crushing in that sense of, I is this me? Am I going to be stuck in this? Where you see people, you know, who've been sectioned and they're rocking away and they're on meds and they're... Yeah. One flew over the cuckoo's nest. Exactly. So I generally is like, oh, I'm trying my best to get out of this cycle. and I don't know what to do. And you're, you look at other people and you look at even religious people and you go, I don't want to be that. <laughs> I don't want to be so self-assured that I think I'm 100% right and be deceiving myself. So I, I really went through a long time of like, what's, what is happening to me mentally? And a lot of times I just put it to one side and try to focus on something else and read something, you know, because I didn't have an answer to it. And the more I looked at it, the more it kind of brought me down. But it was a process. Remember you said to me earlier on, it's all a process. 
100%. You didn't know, but that process was quite a long one at the time, from 12, 13, 14 to the next, you know, until you were 30. You were going through a very difficult process. Exactly. But the key is, you came through it. I came through it, and I came through it by finding at least certain things. It's like being out in, in the water, and you're treading water all the time, and then you come across a bit of wood, a bit of driftwood, and you kind of latch onto that, and it helps you a bit, but you're still treading water, and you, you find another bit, and, you know, mm -hmm. and bizarrely, you're able to put them together, and eventually you get enough for a raft. And it's still not great, and it's still you know, but it's a gradual process, and this is where mentally I was trying to find answers and trying to understand which is right for me and which is applicable and what is truth and what is right and how do I know? And there was a like a filtration process. There was a, a trial and error process that I started going through and it gave me confidence that even though I may not have all the truth, I would be pretty close to it. I would get close to it. You know, it is possible to to sift through an awful lot of stuff that is wrong and and have a higher probability that mm. this is true. Yeah, I, I mean, I see truth as a direction. Yeah. You're not always going to get there and arrive like a destination, but you're going in the right direction. Exactly. And there's going to be times when you veer away from the truth, and you, but you're always trying to go in that direction to try and dig out the truth, which is what you're doing on your journey. Trying to, and making a lot of mistakes and setbacks and finding a lot, you know, I could tell you a thousand ways how not to do it, <laughs> you know, but I hadn't quite found the bit they did, but eventually I did. It's, you know, like sifting through a whole field of soil to get a few nuggets. You know, it takes an awful long time. It's like, what the heck am I doing here? Yeah, I, I just want to draw an analogy there because I think it's important that what you were doing was you were trying to move a certain direction, but you weren't being put off by temporary setbacks and failures. And in some ways, that's I, I, a... I was slowed down. And <laughs> yeah, I get that, but I remember the story of Edison and the light bulb when he had tried 10,000 different ways to create the light bulb, people said, why don't you just give up? He, he knew in his mind that it was going to work. He said, I haven't failed 10,000 times. I've just found 10,000 different ways that it didn't work. Sorry. And the same way your journey was taking you on these paths, yeah. you were trying things, didn't, didn't work, try this, you had to move forward, sometimes two step backwards and one step forward and sometimes vice versa, but at least you were moving. Just out of sheer desperation at times because... You're that tired and you get set back and you, at times you're just like, oh, I just want to give up. But whenever you got a bit of strength and energy back, your hope sort of came back a little bit and you're like, I'll try again. <laughs> but you just kept getting knocked back so many times. It's like, oh, if someone had come along and said, this is the answer, but it'll cost you like 10 grand or 100 grand. I, I almost went, okay, because I was that fed up. But the few things I found that was useful was... Again, pictures. I, I couldn't. I couldn't settle on a picture in my mind. I, I didn't have any kind of placeholder or stability to go. Where Where do I start? And when I started looking at things from the point of view of, how do you know where anything is? You need multiple points of reference. So, even in in physics, even in space, how do you, how do you know where? that nebula is, or how do you know where that thing is, is you need this direction, this direction, this direction, that, you know, so f multiple angles and where they all intersect is where something is. A bit like the GPS system with triangulation. Yeah. That's how it knows where you are. It's more than just three points. So 
that's where you know the more spokes and the more angles that all come together and that's i have quite a broad range of of interest and so forth so the more that all those areas i looked at started to converge or, or come towards the more probability the more confident i was that this was going to be true this was going to be beneficial and useful and just also thinking about things that are really complex complexity is just simplicity multiplied Complexity is just simplicity multiplied because that helped me understand, you know, give me the, the hope and the confidence to, to break things down because it, it all seemed very complex. And I was like, and I know it's, it seems very obvious that that's the case, but to me, it was quite a, a mental shift one day when I was just looking at it because I used to play with Lego a lot and do all those things, but I just happened to be looking at the periodic table. And I was looking, everything that I see in the universe and everything here is made up of these. It's just, if you had one molecule of each of these, they'd all fit into a newborn baby's hand. And it's like, these is this, just yeah. multiplied. Yeah. So that's, that's where I was like, oh, this simplicity just multiplied. But it's how it's structured, it's how it's ordered. So that sort of gave me, you know, again, the framework can give me confidence to go, Right, you but like a trellis, it it uh, gives structure for something to grow on, and that for me was what I needed. I needed these sort of mental pictures to help me evaluate all the information that was coming in and help me sift through. And even you know, when I used to bake and so forth, you multiple siftings and to get finer and finer. And so I was using these as a way to help me get out of my I'm going mad. <laughs> you know, I, I don't know what to do. I don't know who to trust or where to go. And these are transferable skills. You know, they're useful in no matter what area you're looking at. When you're looking at history or science or, you know, in the media, you have all these different opinions. And you listen to someone and you go, that's, that sounds really good and that's logical. And you listen to someone else and you go, that sounds really good and logical. And then you go, oh, they both can't be right because they're, you know, but they both sounded so logical and right. So you have to go, well, then there's something missing here. I have to, again, break it apart, break it down, mm -hmm. check each part to see is this is the foundation, is the your presumptions, your assumptions correct to begin with? Because a lot of times that is the problem. Everything else, you know, past that is logical and solid and, and tight. But that initial starting point is the, the bit that they veered off due to either a misinterpretation or something. I've only just come across um, that this is what it's called um, in regards to human nature, called Hanlon's razor. Because I would have always said, let's not always ascribe you know, malice or people being evil intent on everything that's done. A lot of times it's just a mistake. Right, and then I've only just came across this year. Someone else said that way before me, and came across it, and that's called Hanlon's razor because he's accredited, this Irish American is credited with with saying roughly the same thing. That too often people just ascribe, you know, evil intent and malice and all those things to whatever's going on, and they're just wrong. They've just made a mistake. They've just misinterpreted it. Can you can you translate any of the hands razor type? things into 
what we're going through now and say, you know, perhaps that's not malice aforethought, maybe it's just wrong. Could you? Well, a lot of times human nature is split into this false dilemma. You know, it's either this or this. And there's usually elements of truth on both sides. I mean, you have, even with the whole, should you get these things injected into you? And, and, and people go, yes, yes, there's solid data behind that. And look at all this here. And the, the, the other side that goes, oh, no, it's, it's all evil. But, you know, you should never, ever. And, and then you're, you're looking at those two groups and you go, okay, that's, there's, there's usually an element of truth on both sides. What are we going to do to filter through this? Because these blanket broad statements aren't helpful, you know. And it's breaking down as to what is it about it and what evidence are you bringing forth and what are the the interests involved is there a conflict of interest and can you trust every authority figure because you know authority figures have been proven to be not always the most reliable even in their field of expertise that's been very kind i've been very very diplomatic but that is the process though because again people get too emotionally involved and get too fixated on one issue and they don't step back and look at the wider context of no this is this is a mental processing problem and it's a transferable mental pro- processing problem we find it in every area we find it in our day-to-day relationships with our families and our co-workers and so this isn't anything new regardless of culture or religion stuff this is the same problem the same process we've always been going through now it's been heightened a lot more because of again we're bombarded with a lot more words and pictures than ever before due to tech but again that's a complex problem that's just a simple problem multiplied right it's it's always been there so we have to look at it from the point of view of if we come at it from an approach of perhaps this person is just wrong they they have a blind spot their intention is right, their intention is good, they mean well, but we have to look at how you've come to your conclusion. What are you basing that upon? What is the process you went through that you've went, right, this is what I've concluded and this is what I'll act upon? And that's what, when things are too emotional and things are very um, heightened in a state of fear, it's not conducive to think properly. It's not conducive to go, Let's settle here, let's stem it down, let's go through a process of, perhaps you're right, but I, I won't know that unless I check through your methodology. I used to hate it as a kid when maths teachers used to say to me, show me your working out. I was like, why? Surely I've given you the right answer. I, I don't, you know, it just seemed like a waste of time. Mm-hmm. But they were right because I remember when I was ill, my maths teacher, Mr. Kearney, got quite excited one day because... I was given answers really quickly to something and he was like how did you get there and I said I, I don't know I just did this this and this and he wanted me to break down my thought process of to make sure you weren't cheating no it wasn't even cheating he he was thinking I'd find a new way to come at the answer and he was quite excited that because he thought this could be a new like formula a new mm-hmm. right and bizarrely I'd given the right answer I can't even remember what it was but I remember him being quite excited and giving me a few and I got about four or five right, but the others I didn't. So it, it wasn't actually a, a, like, oh, I've found a new way. I just bizarrely had got the answer going a different route. Yeah.
but it wasn't a new kind of, this is another formula. But in that sense, had we not went through that, break it down, slow it down, how did you arrive at that? You know, you could have just went, oh, this is a new way and just run with it. Because I got the answers right. Yeah, that process is what you're trying to allude to of uh, breaking things down, that there's a, there's a, there's a, a target there and you're here. The maths teacher wanted you to go this way, but you happened to go around that way. And then he was like, well, maybe he's found a new way. Yeah. But I'd only sort of got lucky. Uh, and in relation to <clears throat> mental health and how you've, your journey from, you know, 12, 13 up to 30, there were many ways that you could have arrived at the age of 30, yeah. but you just found your way there and, and pulled in various truths along the way and gradually got yourself better and better and better. Like we said before, you know, sometimes you fell backwards and sometimes you got forward. Was there anybody around you? Is it important to surround yourself with good people, with good intents? Is that important as well? 100% because, again, all this is an energy output. It's quite, you know, it takes a lot of time and energy and it's... Stressful? Yeah, especially when you're you're in a, a very pressurized, difficult relationship <laughs> uh, environment all the time. It's hard to keep focus. And again, that's a drain on you as well. So... If you can be around like-minded people, it definitely helps. But unfortunately, I wasn't. You know. But again, it's everything's accumulative. So the more you can, you can aim in that direction, the better it is for you. You know. Again, thinking the old saying is, you know, the five closest people around you are a reflection of you by choice. Not. Now, if you think about that, you go, well, the five closest people around me are all mental. <laughs> you know, they're all unstable. They're all crazy. But that's a forced situation. I don't, I don't mean entirely that, although there is a bit of truth in that. that. That can affect you and you can become a bit like that because you're reacting to them. Mm -hmm. And like I said before about the mind doesn't really know right, wrong, good or bad. It just knows stimulus. It just knows focus. I've seen so many people over the years going, I, I won't be like my father or my mother. And they end up even being horrified seeing certain traits of their father and mother develop. But they really didn't want it. And they were serious. They weren't, but not, they, I mean, there was some terrible things happened to them. They were like, I will never treat my kids like that. I'm never going to be like that. But they so focused on, on the fear of not becoming like that. In like certain instances, you know, it came out. You know, it, it just, they reacted and went, oh, just reacted like my mother. I just reacted like my father. I can't believe I just did that. But that's a well-known phenomenon yeah. <clears throat> in certain circumstances. You know, uh, uh, not all the time, but an abused child will become an abuser. Yeah. Not all the time, all the time but, but there's a high yeah. propensity. There's a statistically significant amount, yeah. So it's, it's understanding, you know, I've seen that even with women who were domestically abused and different things and eventually got the strength to get out of that situation and then they end up through time being around someone that does it again does it again and what, like logically is that a law of attraction what, what is that sort of in the sense of it's more familiarity you know it's comfortable because it's it, subconsciously it's familiar but also there's what's known as the abused child syndrome or they're almost seeking resolution as well from that problem like they're almost seeking 
um, the person to say sorry or to change or to say, you know, it's because a lot of times the mind is trying to find solutions. And that's when people go to alcohol or illegal drugs or, or food or sex or um, working out so much or just working so much. We're all trying to self-medicate. We're all trying to find the answer. We're all trying to get resolutions to a mental issue and a physical issue. So when we see people in that wider context that we're all damaged and we all have issues and some of us are better at getting through them than others because of either fortunate or we have good people around us that can help us and X, Y, and Z. But that's a different perspective to look at the world and look at people by saying, we're all trying to get better. We're all trying to get whole. We all have mental illness. We all, and it's that illusion of health that I, I said before that people are wanting to be healthy all the time. They're almost afraid to get sick. I'm going on no, no, you're going to get sick. It's not about always avoiding sickness. It's about knowing what to do when you are sick. It's about shortening that time that you are sick, which takes a lot of fear and pressure away. You know, it's this, this pedestal that I must be healthy all the time. Or, and like I said to you before, a lot of people would see me as the health guy. You're, you're the, I'm like, no, no, I, I don't like that label. And I'm, I don't put myself as that kind of person because that's not my identity. It's just one part of my identity. But I have other interests and other things I want to do. I just happen to be knowledgeable and I don't have all the answers. I can get sick. I'm sure at one point I'll die from some sickness. You know, there's certain things that you will never be able to avoid. Death is one of them. It will always win. But you want to delay that and make that as easy and as short as possible. So that changes your incentives. It changes your perspective and and it changes your mental, again, processing of, yes, I'll do what I can to avoid getting sick, but I'm not that annoyed if I get sick. Because I know what to do. I to deal with it. Exactly. I can cope with it, and I can possibly shorten the length of sickness. Yeah, and it, it also can be quite helpful, I find, to get a little bit sick every so often, because it keeps you humble. <laughs> and it can also bizarrely help you with mental issues. I've seen this in people where they've, they've went through a very intense physical experience, but it helped change their perspective mentally. It helped break certain things. And that was the process that they needed to get healthy mentally. So we're not saying that sickness is a good thing. No. We're saying it can be used as but a tool to move you forward and yeah. get better because of it. Exactly, because again, what is the desire you know, internally, you're seeking resolution, you're seeking an answer to the problem. And that can come from various different sources. Yeah. And people can get very woo-woo about that, and mystical. And I'm not trying to do that at all. I'm just logically looking at that's the way it happens. Yeah. Uh, we mentioned on the way in that, you know, these signs that you see around, around town now saying, um, it's okay not to be okay. It's kind of some truth in that, that, you know, you're, you're going to be not okay for a while, whether it's a physical sickness or a mental sickness, that's going to happen. You just need to know that with perseverance and the right tools and the right framework and the right people, you're going to get through it. Yeah. And a lot of people need to hear that. I'm sure there's people listening that are watching are going to be saying, yeah, but you don't know my circumstances. You don't know how bad things have been for me. 
Yeah, we appreciate that. And we appreciate those people who have gone through terrible, terrible times, mentally, physically, whatever, abuse, physical illness, mental illness. They have to know that there's a way through it. It's not the end chapter. And it's, it's taken away the stigma and the shame around it as well. Because, again, a lot of people, because of ego, pride, or just vulnerability, it's, it's a combination of all of those yeah. things. I don't even always want to say it's ego or pride. You just, like in my case, a lot of times, I didn't want to say because I didn't want to be a burden on anyone. I felt weak already. And I felt terrible to almost ask or demand on other people who were struggling or having difficulties themselves I, I just I didn't want to be that person so a lot of times people won't say because of that reason it's not because they're I don't want to admit it like I'm I haven't beaten down enough I, I don't care you get that desperate to the point where I don't care about being humiliated or feeling like I, I just admit it I'm wrong I don't know I need help but it's it's the point of view of if we live in a culture that's already that way geared, which it's not, it's sort of getting there, and in certain pockets and segments it is, but generally it's not there yet. It's better than what it was, but with technology and everything, it's heightened everything, it's brought everything a lot quicker and, and to the surface a lot more than what it would have been. And those cracks were already there, but when more pressure is put on it, the cracks widen. And you see that with people even in marriage and, and kids come along and stuff, and then a lot of problems. And they sp But the cracks were already there. They just weren't aware of them until there was pressure put on it and weights put on it, and then it exposed it and brought it out more. Mm -hmm. And it's really looking at from that <coughs> point of view of... Especially from a, a, a man's point of view, I suppose, you could say I'm very engineer kind of thinking wise you know like breaking everything down understanding how things work but i like to understand why it's there not just how and i like get into the fine detail and if a lot of men would look at their body and their mind like that that it's gonna like an engine it's gonna cause problems there's gonna be issues you're gonna maybe need a second opinion because you can't see it clearly from your angle you're gonna need help and tinker you know improve themselves i mean people use all these terms like hack yourself and what you know, but you're trying to get resolution. You're trying to get an answer to a problem. And you can be too close to see it. I have a blind spot that you don't have. You have a blind spot that I don't have. Someone else has a blind spot that neither of us have. Yeah. So there's a verse in the Bible that actually I've maybe co-opted this. Maybe that's not what the, the writer meant to say, but... This is my thinking, I see it written there in a verse that says, in a multitude of counselors, there's much safety. And I tell you, you know, if you have everyone chipping in from their angle, you're more likely to eventually find the truth. Hence the cliche example of there's blind people handling an elephant and one's at the ear and one's at the, you know, but it's, it's that collective input gives you, you know, the overall picture. Yeah. So it, it's really, that's what I always say to people, always listen to for and against, no matter what it is. Even if you think you're right, it's a good part of the checklist and mentally coming through things. Always listen to for and against. Yeah. It, it doesn't matter if you think you know 
everything, if you're a specialist in your field, that you go, I don't think anyone could prove me wrong. This always listen to foreign against. And is this not what's missing in today's society? By design, some people would say that debate has been taken off the table. With what we've gone through in the last year and a half, two years, yeah. real live debate to get both sides of the story so that people can say, well, I've listened to this side yeah. and I've listened to that side. Now I'm going to use my own brain to make up my mind. Yeah. People, it's the, the the mind is like a muscle. You know, you, you either use it or you lose it. In that sense, you have to practice these things. And warfare, you know, people who practice skills, martial arts, they practice routine, they, they practice going through, the army does it, the Navy, they, they practice, they have mock battles, they have mock, because again, you're getting the repetition, which leads to retention so that you react quicker and faster, that you're not overwhelmed. You're, you're training your muscles and your nervous system into that way of things, so it's not a big an impact. But we're not doing that relationship-wise, you know, and this is the problem. Um, people haven't learned how to argue respectfully. And part of the problem is people can't control themselves emotionally either. That's why it's very hard to get a debate because... Such a key point. Yeah. <clears throat> it really is because I've noticed that, you know, if I get challenged in a shop or if I get challenged walking down the street from my particular beliefs or point of view, the person cannot debate me on a, uh, a pleasant, uh, level-headed, factual, conversational type argument. They will attack and they will use profanity and they will to try and demean me because... They don't know how to do that. They've been conditioned for so long just to get angry about the situation. The pride comes in of, I'm right, and I don't need to listen to you. And you find with those people that they've barely listened to the against arguments. They go, I have listened to the against arguments, if at all. But what I mean about listening to for or against, I mean like genuinely spending as much time with the against argument as for the for. You know, any topic I've looked into, I find all the major, you know, ideas and the people who said them and, and delve in and just generally look at their different points of view and where they were coming from and, and, and their time frame and in their culture to make sense of why they would come to that conclusion. Like, I did, I did a study on, on all the different dictators and, and serial killers and different... And when you strip away all the differences, you see a pattern... You see a pattern of thought, you see maybe a pattern of certain experiences that they've had, and then you start to pick up, okay, this is where we are the accumulation. Like, I loved it as a kid collecting cards, you know, sticker collections, football, you know, and I even at times used to go, why the heck do I enjoy this? You know, in some ways it seemed like, this is, I was almost sometimes embarrassed and thinking, this is kind of stupid, yet I love it so much. Why, why do I enjoy the process? of trying to find and swap and collect. And then when you collect them, I was like, that's great. Was <laughs> what do I do with it? <laughs> you know, it's like, but it was like the process I enjoyed yeah. and I didn't understand, but it's essentially that's all we are. We are collectors and we collect words and pictures and we collect them. And we are the sum total of our conversations and, and movies and books. And so, you know, we have collected an amassment of things and it, the quality of that and the ratio that depends you know, I'm just wondering, is it a process of something inside me says I need to be collecting things and once I've got them, I need to put them in order. And once it's done, 
Oh, I've done that now. What else can I collect and put into order? Is it kind of a, a mental process that we need to go through to make sense of our environment and to put everything neatly in, and pigeonhole it in a box? And whether it's golf cards, football cards, marbles, anything. Sure. Yeah. It's you. You can overcomplicate something and you can oversimplify it as well. And human nature has a terrible tendency to swing to those extremes. You know, you see people, especially, you know, who've been in certain, let's call them denominations, religions, cults. In a sense, they're in a ditch. And somehow they find a way to see that it's, it's an error and they've come out of the ditch slowly. So they're heading in the right direction. And it's great, they're getting free. They feel so much better. And not all the time, but quite a lot of times they end up getting into something else and it's another ditch. <laughs> So they, they go from pillar to post, they, they get into another error and they get into another problem. And that can be part of the process of learning as well. I'm not knocking them for that. I mean, I haven't been 100% right and I've changed my views on certain things based on the information I had. But that's my point. I, I was willing to change because based on the light I had, based on the information I had, that was the most logical conclusion. But as soon as new information came along that challenged that, I had to go, hmm, I can't no longer hold to that conclusion. I'm going to have to change it. And that's why I say to people over the times who've said I'm wrong with this, that, and the other, maybe your conclusion is right, but I can't make sense of your process that built up to that conclusion. It's not logical to me. But you may, just like in my case, have got the right answer by accident, by using a process that's still wrong. You know, so it's always keeping that open-mindedness in the point of view of, even though what they're saying and what they're pulling together to get that answer makes no sense, doesn't invalidate that conclusion because the conclusion could still be right. So it's always going through that process of let's look at our starting points. Let's look at every link in the chain to make sure every step of the process is the same in logistics and, you know, in a factory and so forth, you look at every part of the process the raw materials and how you get it there and each stage of the process to make sure because if you have a problem you go well whereabouts in the chain is the problem it's the same with physical health you look at what you're taking in and you're looking you know the old saying is you are what you eat and I go no you are what you absorb because even if you're taking it in and you can't absorb it you're still going to be deficient so again you're looking at every step of the process of are you taking it in? Are you able to absorb it? Are you taking in the right quantities? Or you know, so you're challenging every part of the process to see what's going on. Mm-hmm. And this is what I mean about mental health. I mean, and it, it can feel very what's the word I'm looking for? Sort of um, condemning or belittling to say mental illness. You have a mental illness, but that's it's not what I mean. It as it's just being honest with yourself to go, you do. And at certain points you've had bites of it and you've got through it and you probably will go through bites of it again. And you may unwittingly have some mental illness right now, but you're unaware of it. You know, through a trauma, through a wound. Yeah, but it's surely becoming aware of it and admitting to oneself that there is a problem means that then one can reach out and ask for help and and maybe just a little course correction now and again is needed but to shrivel back up into one's shell and say i've got a problem here but i don't really want to reach out is only going to mean 
getting worse and worse in a kind of a downward spiral. So it's that stigma, isn't it? It's saying there is no stigma. Everybody has a mental health thing. You said it earlier on. So what would you say to somebody watching this that says, well, that's okay, but what do I need to do now? What's your advice? Where should I go? What should I do? Well, again, a lot of times with everything we're doing, we don't really slow down enough to allow certain pictures to come to the fore. I found that I was desperately looking for an answer and my mind was just blank because I was so used to pushing past and just going on and moving things. Busy, 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 busy. Yeah, busy, busy, busy. Because you're unaware that it's a coping mechanism. You're unaware that you've just suppressed it. But if you slow it down and you're being honest with yourself and calling it for what it is, it's a fear, it's an illness, and not feeling any shame or condemnation with that, not feeling any kind of, you know, people are going to reject me if I admit that I have mental illness. Fear of rejection is a big one. Yeah. And this is where I think my love of words and the meaning of words has really helped me come through. Because when we think of the word death, what picture do you have? A coffin. Yeah. Physical. A body that doesn't move. Right? People go, that's death. I would go, yes, I agree with that. But my definition of death, and the original definition of death, was much wider than that. Because originally the word death just meant division, something that's separated. Right? So that's why I said to you before, whatever is a source of life to you, whatever you feel benefits you, if you're separated from that, that's a type of death. We call it bereavement. We call it, you know, you know, separation, you know, call it grief. But let's call a spade a spade. It's a type of death. You've lost that car, you've lost that house, you've lost that relationship, you've lost a child, you've lost something that gave life to you. So people fear that. Everyone fears a type of death. I never feared physically dying, honestly, growing up even as a kid and troubles and so forth. That was never a concern of mine. Even if someone had said to me as a kid, and I remember people saying to me, you know, what fears do you have? And I would go, I don't have any. Because my conception of fear was someone who was sort of paralyzed or crying or in the corner or trying to run. And while that is partly true, it's much wider than that. And the more I understood sort of definitions of fear and death, I suddenly realized I had a lot more fears than I realized. But I called them concerns. I, you know, I, I relabeled them. And we all do this, and I notice we call them just, it's just a concern, it's just a worry, it's just a, you know, it's a fear. Let's call for what it is. That's what we're saying about mental illness. It's, it's called for what it is. It's a mental illness. It's called for what it is. It's just fear. And everything that I can see distills down into fear and faith. Right? And those are very religious-sounding words, but again, they originally weren't. They were using philosophy, they were using... So faith and fear, for me, is the same thing. Just one is the shadow of the other. Fear is a type of faith because whenever you fear something, you, you're having faith that it has the power to do to you or, or it has the capacity to happen. So people go, oh, faith is blind and faith. No, the word faith comes from a word that means originally to cut. 
as in I have faith in something, I have a cut in something, I have a deal in something. Right? I have a portion of that. I have faith in that. You know, it's an attachment. Mm-hmm. Other other languages use a word that means to attach for faith. So everyone has faith in something. I'm not saying it's a, it's a, a being or creator. You, people have faith in science. People have faith in this. Faith manifests itself differently, but everyone has faith. Everyone has a belief in something. But it's the process of what you went through to come to that conclusion so that you would have your trust in that, so that you would go, okay, I have faith in this. And fear, like I said, is the shadow of that. It is a type of faith. It is a type of belief. And we see this when people have association with, say, they see a bird and they're probably, or they see something and they're like, I have a fear of the number 13. I have a fear of this. Why? Because, again, the thought process that comes to that conclusion that gives that reaction. Now, in neuroscience, there's a saying that, that when neurons fire together, they wire together. And it's to do with stimulus. And you f- see this with PTSD and sexual trauma and, and different other issues, that it wires the brain in a certain way, that whenever that stimulus comes up, it triggers you know, a physical response. And people that I've dealt with and trying to help them through, because I've been through parts of it myself, we instinctively go defensive. We instinctively try to suppress the thought. We instinctively try and get away from it. But again, remember, the mind just knows stimulus, doesn't know right, wrong, good or bad. And the more we try and sort of avoid, and it, it strengthens the pathway. So ultimately what you want to get to is that memory or those triggers will come up, but you don't have the physical response to them. You don't have the emotional response to it. You can see it, you can observe it like a third person. So you're not trying to suppress it. You're just trying to create a death. You're trying to create a separation. And that's a healthy kind of separation, a healthy kind of death from that. And it's about rewiring, again, the brain. When you're learning a musical instrument, say it's a violin, it's the constant repetition. Again, repetition needs the retention. But the constant stimulus the mind goes, right, this is being stimulated so often, I better make shorter pathways and connect them in order for that to be more efficient. Because again, the body's looking for the most energy efficient way to do things. Through that repetition, eventually it stimulates it enough that it becomes easier. But again, that can happen in the negative sense as well. The constant bombardment through media, the constant bombardment. You know, if you're in an echo chamber with the same people and the same, that reinforces, you know, a bias. And that's why it's healthy always to listen to for and against, get stimulated in another way. You know, learn how to deal with things you disagree with and don't like, but don't have an emotional, physical response to it that's so vitriol and so observant but not get so engaged that it drains the life out of you. And I'm not saying everyone's be perfect on that. And yes, there's times I get very emotionally or angry involved, especially when I'm tired or it's to do, if it's something to do with kids or something, I can be, get very annoyed, you know, like rapists and pedophiles are on my top list of things that I can get very angry and annoyed about. And just, but ultimately it's, it's realizing on the scale of things in the wider context, a lot of issues that people are dealing with aren't worth the mental toil, aren't worth the whole 
vitriol aren't worth the... So again, that process, you know, a lot of people are reliving what people have said to them and experiences, and it's it's their rent free. It's it's just living inside them and it's eaten away. And that is part of your mental illness. You know, I struggle with injustice a lot, and different things were done that they were unjust. And again, that was eaten away at me. And I was right. But how I was dealing with it was wrong. And it was keeping me unwell. And I knew it. But I couldn't stop it. I found it, well, I found it very hard to stop it. it. Something would happen, something would trigger, and I'd get in this loop. And it had a physical response. And I was desperate not, because it had been done to me, I was desperate not to take out my anger and fr frustrations on anyone else. Because a lot of times that's what happened to me. An injustice. Um, but me learning how to deal with that and not physically respond to that and sort of becoming more flexible and more um, placid in that environment really helped. But again, I had to mentally shift. I had to see things differently. I had to break the pattern. And it's things like that has really helped me physically as well. And that's what I'm saying, the, the mental health side, a lot of people I would see, I can't really help because they need to do a lot of the work themselves. And they have to see where the source of it's coming from. Like I can give them stuff that can support them physically, but it's not gonna make them better because the source of where it's coming from is their responses to things. And a lot of times, again, it hasn't been their fault initially. It's been something that's been done to them, very traumatic at times. But it's taken your side of that and going, okay, I, I can't stop that, I can't repair that, I can't change that, but I can change my response to it. I can change how I process that. I can change how I physically respond to that. And yes, just because it's a natural response, it's natural to get defensive, it's natural, doesn't mean it's right doesn't mean it's helpful, doesn't mean it's beneficial. And it's really getting to the point where I, I realized that a lot of things I was doing, even though I hated doing it and I really wanted to change, it's almost as if you have to go through a certain number of times before the, the subconscious mind goes, all right, I've had enough, I need to change. So, and I've seen this happen in other people too, it's your perception. Whenever your perception of change becomes less, than the perception of staying the same, then you'll change. Because we always gravitate to the area of least resistance. We always, it's just, it's energy efficiency. Human nature, we're all, what is the path of least resistance? What is the most efficient way to do this? And unfortunately, we're a bit slow. <laughs> you know, it takes that constant repetition of the pains before the mind makes the association that me doing the same thing causing this negative painful response that I don't like. Okay, I need to. And so, suddenly you get the energy and you get the strength to start. And that's going to be different for each person. Like, it still frustrates me that there's things I'm doing that I don't want to do. Mm -hmm. But I know I have to wait a certain amount of times before it, it gets to that tipping point where the brain goes, right, <laughs> that's enough. You're going to keep doing the same things you've always done. You're going to keep getting the same result you've always got. Now we need to shift. 
And in a lot of the studies I looked at, you, you see books that say 21 days, 30 days to change a habit, all those things. can take a bit longer than that, but from what the research shows, it takes about 40 to 70 repetitions before the brain sort of goes, oh, I need to change, <laughs> you know. And if there's big gaps in between that, you know, it doesn't count. You know, it, it's almost like within a short space of time, it needs... And that's annoying because a lot of circumstances, a lot of issues aren't there every day or every week and they come sporadically. And it's very hard to change your response in those times because it's only in those times are you trying to recut a groove and, and re-stimulate yourself. You know, and ultimately you're trying to avoid those circumstances as well. So you're in this push-pull of these are the circumstances in which, you know, it can help me shift, but I don't want to be in those circumstances. So it does take time. So I've learned that over a few decades that, and I'm still tweaking out and learning and making mistakes and, you know. Be patient with yourself. Kind of, but, you know, I think all of us maybe have that little bit of an impatience within us. Um, and it's, I've got better at it, but again, it's, it's, it's always accumulative. And it's, you get caught up. And I find this too, when I'm trying to get an answer to a certain um, question I have or a certain problem I have you have a tendency to tolerate things a lot longer and gradually run yourself down too much and you're more susceptible to get ill and x y and z because and again it's unintentional and a lot of times I'm put in circumstances where I've said I'll do something and this something and it goes on longer than <laughs> what I anticipated what they anticipated and then you get run down as well. So you're never going to be perfect. You're never going to get it right. But I'm not so concerned about that. I'm just concerned about getting the space and time to be able to repair and course correct and readjust. And it's when you can't think properly, you can't do things properly, that's when you need help because you accidentally have run too close to the, you know, the line and you've collapsed. But your, my intention was I was trying to sort another problem out and uh, inadvertently caused a problem for myself, yeah. you know. So the more people we have around us that are all sort of doing the same thing, the less likelihood that that's going to happen because you're looking out for one another. I always find it easier to look out for someone else than myself because I'm too close to myself and all this is going on. But that's just where... It's always beneficial if you can get around to like-minded people. And it's very hard to find at times in your life. Other times it's easier, but um, if you can, it will make it somewhat easier. Does that make sense or is that clear? No, it makes perfect sense, yes. And, um, you know, in the last, the last hour or so, I think you've covered a lot. And I do firmly believe that there's people out there that will be hearing this message and will get something from it. Um, uh, very very beneficial if you could summarise we've got about two or three minutes left if you could just summarise what you've just said in a nutshell and what your advice would be to somebody going through this it's just a summary form Sorry. Um, again changing your perspective um, being more self aware as cliche as that term is about your thought processes about why you react to certain things um, one of the things you said, Paul, was to 
slow down. Sometimes, you know, life gets busy by design and we get caught up in this whirlwind called life and we can't slow down. Is it important that somebody says I need to make space for myself, for my solitude so that I can quiet myself down and think and process what's going on? And it it is hard. I mean, I remember being in a circumstance years ago where even though I got out of the circumstance for six months after at least to a year, I was still like a wind up spring. I was still reacting and still behaving as if I was in the circumstance. So people have to realize that even if you do make space for yourself, it is annoyingly slow. It will take time before your body actually believes that things have changed. But again, it's the constant stimulus. It's the constant repetition of, oh, I'm not in this circumstance. I'm not. And then eventually it, it calms down and slows down. But it won't, it won't respond fast. In my case anyway, in a lot of people's cases, it's, but when you understand that context, when you understand that this is normal and this is what the process is, it helps. But I didn't know and my impatience didn't help because <laughs> I wanted it faster. And I was like, okay, now that I'm out of this, great. I can start to repair and heal. And I was like, no, it took a lot longer. So things like that, changing your perspective, if you can change as much as you can, it's not always possible, the people around you, if you can slow down, if you can limit the amount of time you spend with them, um, if you can find other people, find other sources. As we're saying, we have a lot more audio-visual access now. So feed on that. You know, feed on the words and pictures, you know, on YouTube and podcasts and different things and build yourself up because we've all had those experiences where someone has said a word or said something and it has just totally shifted our emotions. It's totally shifted how we've looked at something. It's totally shifted... And you're like, oh, that was so simple. It was just one little thing, one sentence, one word, and it's just answers like a, a, a key in a lock. It's just it's opened so many things up. So hopefully you want to put yourself in positions and to get information and stimulus that makes that more likely to happen. And that's what the summation of what I'm trying to say is. It's it's the thought process, putting yourself in the environment because this organ, any organism is dependent on the health of the environment that it's in. And, and health is a team sport for me. You know, it's not an individual endeavor, really. You know, the health of me mentally and physically is dependent on my environment. And that is the quality of the air, the water, the nutrition, the food, and the people. In other words, so if we can look at it from that context of it's not just for my benefit, this is for everyone's benefit, that we look at health, mental and physical, as a team sport, as a, a, an endeavor, you know, synergistically, it works well for all of us. That's a great summary. And uh, we've run out of time, unfortunately, but I really thank you for being here today. In more ways than one. There are a lot of people that don't know yet, and they're going to find out in the next session that you had a very traumatic experience in, in hospital and we're going to be covering that in the next session and hopefully that will help some more people as well so Paul it's an absolute pleasure thank you for joining me today on the show and uh, I wish you the very best of health thank you both mental and physical <laughs> watch and listen for free on YouTube Odyssey, Rumble Apple Podcasts and Spotify
You can also follow us on Telegram and Facebook for more information.